What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with my fantabulistic, fantabulicious even, co-host Grant Hughes. Before we get started, please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume it. YouTube, hit that sub button, like, comment, help the algorithm love us back. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you get your pods, download every episode. If you've done all those things, please consider telling people about us, retweet our promos on Twitter, um, and follow us on all the socials, which are in the YouTube and podcast descriptions. And finally, join our Discord. Don't be like Grant. Join the Discord. Uh, lots of fun conversations happening in there. We are on to our one question for each team in the West uh, Eastern Conference. We already did the West. This is part one. We will split these into two pods because Grant and I always go too long, and that's also just, it makes sense. We're talking about 15 teams. Let's not overload you. First and foremost, though, well, one, I hope everyone... Recording this on Wednesday. We are not putting out part two on Thursday. Hope everyone has a happy, safe Thanksgiving, eats lots of food, doesn't think about the New York Knicks even once um, while they're eating. Um, But the other important question, Grant, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing really well. And I want everybody to know that I just wrote down uh, at a bullet point, uh, join Discord. So I have a bullet point. What is Discord? (laughs) Well, there's a lot of pre bullet points of like, you know, what is a computer and how do I use one? Um, but I'm doing, I'm doing well at the Warriors, uh, won a road game. I'm going to decide, I've decided that I'm going to always explain how well I'm doing, uh, relative to how the Warriors are doing. And they did get blown out by like a thousand points, but that was the B team, which has been, uh, really awful, uh, against the Pelicans, but they beat the Rockets on the road. So, you know, nowhere to go, but up after that. Yeah. I mean, look, maybe Philly is officially the worst road team in the league. Now, not the Warriors. How about that? I mean, what remains of Philly, right? Which, which we'll get to. We will get to them. So as a refresher, we each, we split this up and we just came up with what our biggest, most pressing or question is for each squad. We tried to be like in depth about this, but also the reason we're asking these questions is because we don't necessarily know the answers. There were people specifically in the YouTube comments who were like, well, why would you make a podcast out of things you don't know? We're curious people. And like, that's the nature of this exercise. Like, I don't have all the, like, I'm not asking this question I'm about to ask about the Atlanta Hawks. If I knew the answer to it, I would tell you the answer. So I thought it was an instructive exercise. Some people disagree. Here's hoping you enjoy it. We begin with the Atlanta Hawks. And my question is, do they understand? Or I guess the real question is, does getting Bojan Bogdanovich back help fix the offense? And assuming it doesn't, does this team understand what its biggest problems are? Because John Collins is back in the trade rumor mill. And his look, when you go and just look at how much he's essentially been, I don't want to say buried within this offense, but how much his front court touches are down. Um, his usage rate was hovering around 16 at one point, down from 22 last season. His What were his exact front court touches? I think I have it here. He was at like... 30 something last year and now he's down to 22.3 front court touches this year 22.6 versus 33.3 per 36 minutes last year so that's based off minutes it's not even just his raw playing time um, and now he's back in the rumor mill their defense has been really good statistically and uh, watching them and then going into the data I don't think there's any like noise in there they haven't gotten um, they've probably gotten lucky on opponent three-point shooting but like DeJounte Murray has helped out a ton. Clint Capella looks really good. Onyeko Kongu looks really good. So it doesn't feel like they're getting overly lucky, but to see this team be a top eight offense and then rank 18th in points scored per possession, they continue to not take enough threes. They're not getting to the rim enough either. Um, and then the a, a part of this, again, is the Bogdanovich absence, having yet to play this season. But Trey Young without DeJounte Murray, the Hawks are a minus 10.2 points per 100 possessions with an offensive rating in the 32nd percentile. DeJounte Murray without Trey, those minutes were like kind of fine. And now they've swung in the completely wrong direction. They're a minus 9.9 per 100 possessions with an offensive rating of 100, which is in the second percentile. And when you look at this personnel, aside from getting Bogdanovich back, I don't know how you go about fixing this internally. And I think you could get creative with certain units, maybe play the holiday brothers less together when Trey Young's on the court. Does that help you at all? But I don't know that trading John Collins is the pathway to helping 
your offense here. And that's where I think that's where I'm struggling to wrap my head around. Like the primary return that's been mentioned was um, Jay Crowder. I'm assuming it's part of a larger package that would have included picks or something, but he's not fixing your offense. And so what does this team need? I think, I think it's pretty easy to identify what they need, but like how far away are they from turning around the offense or at least being able to float? Because look, some of their full strength lineups are really good. Starting lineup, really good. You throw one of the Holiday brothers in there for like DeAndre Hunter, still really good. You throw Yeka in there for Capella, still really good. So some of their top end lineups are really good. And you will eventually have Bogdanovich back. But once you get past like the sixth, let's throw Bogdanovich in there, the seventh guy, there's so many questions with this roster. And I think, you know, you can harp on some of the stuff that Trey Young has gone through. I know I'm rambling here at this point as, as he tries to adjust to sort of his semi new existence. Um, like it's not just a matter of oh well Trey Young's going to continue to to get better. Um, it, they're missing. It feels like a pretty substantial offensive piece. Yeah, I think. I mean, you got you got to a my my knee jerk reaction to everything that's going on with the Hawks offense is just like Trey Young is is in the ninth percentile in effective field goal percentage among point guards. That's low. He was in the eighty fourth last year, which was a, a career high by far. Like generally speaking. Um, you know, his true shooting numbers always look better than effective field goal percentage. Cause you get the free throws in, in the former. Um, and he's still getting to the line a ton. It's just, the ball's just not going in at all from basically anywhere, literally anywhere, uh, as, as often as it did last year. And it's not as simple. I, I mean, the simplest explanation I think is just saying he's going to shoot the ball better. He's not going to be under 40% from the field. He's not going to be hovering around 30% from three. Some of the floaters will start to fall. He'll finish better at the rim, but that's all presuming that, you know, some of this role change and some of the, you know, new dynamics that Atlanta has had to figure out offensively aren't factors in that. And, and that's, that means it's not just waiting for a correction or a regression. It's also kind of working through, you know, the, some, some fit issues. And like you said, when, when Murray and, and Young are on the floor together, the Hawks are great. Um, and, and that they've got like their most used lineups are, are really good it's when you split them up that it doesn't work. So that kind of cuts against the idea that, well, the adjustment is the problem, I guess. Uh, moving Collins. Well, if you're trying to improve the offense, moving this year's version of Collins might do it just because he's become so low usage, you know, that they've that, taken away so much of what he does. Like it was the screening yeah. with Capella. And now it's just like the ball is in his hands even less. And wasn't in his hands a ton to begin with, but like, there's just going to be fewer shots available when you have Murray and Trey, in this offense. Yeah. And I've always liked the theory of Collins as a five, but having someone on the floor. So he's not guarding the five, you know? So like a Kong Wu theoretically would make a lot of sense there because he could guard centers and, and I don't know, switch around and, and, and be more of a defensive linchpin and Collins could exploit the opposing center. Um, if you could work those kind of matchups, but yeah, as it is, I mean, I, I think we probably could talk about whether it makes sense that Deandre Hunter's role it has increased to really the detriment of Collins. I, I mean, I, I suppose the theory of, of Hunter as like in fully optimized as his fully optimized self, which is to say a good wing defender who can create a little bit and make open threes. That's a really valuable player type more so than Collins. Who's sort of the tweener four or five. That's an offense first guy, but like his defense has improved. Uh, it, it's, it's a little strange. I think, the combination of Young just shooting it better and Collins, if they don't trade him, uh, you know, kind of finding ways to impact the game or have a have just put his fingerprints on the game more often should get the off offense back to where it needs to be. It is encouraging that the defense is good or is is, is better. So, yeah, I, I don't. It, it's tough. I hate just falling into the trade John Collins thing because that's what happens every year, you know, and it, it hasn't <laughs> still haven't pulled the trigger, but. Um, I get it. I get it. If there, if there is a contingent, that's just like, well, you know, he's not helping us in the way that we're currently formed and he's overpaid as a fourth option on offense. I get that. I don't, I don't know if that's the fix though. And I don't look, you've, you're not bankrupt necessarily of like picks that you could trade, but you know, you can't, you, you played your most of your best hands, um, in the, uh, DeJounte Murray deal. It's like, what is, what is like? Who is the target here? Look, this team, frankly, if they were able to finagle it, and you were throwing all the young like Collins and Okungwu and uh, training DeAndre Hunter after he signs the extension would be tough. And there are picks 
that you can trade. I think so they can trade their 2029 pick, I believe. So that's like, you know, whatever. But you what can trade that? a 2028 swap, a 2029 pick, and attach everything to throw the boat at Kevin Durant. But I'm trying to think of like a pathway of who else would become available here and would be realistic and then bumps up your offense. There's, you know, you could look at a team we're going to talk about towards the end. Like, I feel like Washington's a candidate to make some pretty bold moves here, but is Kyle Kuzma doing anything for you? Monte Morris doing anything for you? No. So the, the availability well is weird for what they probably need. And so I'm just, I don't know what direction you go with John Collins. It almost feels like you would be trading him for a role player who doesn't add too much on offense. And then you're getting back like picks and maybe prospects. And you're not at the point as Atlanta where that should be your target in a trade. So I'm, I would guess he gets moved would just, that would just be my guess. But like by the trade deadline, just because there's been, he was supposed to get moved this past year, almost got moved to Sacramento that you thought Sacramento was a blast on offense. Then imagine if it was instead of, instead of Barnes, Sabonis, Keegan Murray, what does Collins Murray and Sabonis look like defensively? I, I just, I don't know what the return is that's out there. Maybe a star becomes available or another player that we're not talking about, but even like, I kind of thought about because Bogdanovich is injured. Like, could you go out and get Eric Gordon and maybe using salary to match that? You're not giving up John Collins in that trade though. So I'm, we've already gone too long on the Hawks, but I'm at a, I'm at a loss for how this thing ends. And I don't think moving him necessarily is the pathway to improving your offense. No, I I agree. I do think though, that there is a financial component, which is you're going to need to find some money to extend DeJounte Murray eventually or to sign extended Hunter. You have Trey young kicking in. You did extend Capella. So that yes, for sure. That's a great, it's like if you do have to trade him for a role player, which looks bad just in a talent exchange from a talent exchange standpoint, you are kind of also, considering the realities of we got to find some money somewhere to, to keep the guy we just traded, you know, million first rounders for. Um, but yeah, so uh, I got the Celtics next. Um, this is kind of a niche thing, but it really jumped out to me as I was looking at some of their, some of their numbers. Um, they're last in forcing opponent turnovers, um, which kind of goes hand in hand with the, I guess it's not surprising because of who's not playing, namely Robert Williams, but their defense hasn't been a strength this year. The offense has been phenomenal. They're shooting a million threes and making enough of them to, to really be one of the best offenses in the league. Um, I just wonder, you know, this is the only thing really that qualifies as a weak point right now is that they just don't force any turnovers defensively. Um, and, and it's kind of an issue that is pervasive across all their high usage, you know, their, their lineups that have played a lot of possessions, you know, you know, every team's got, or the teams that have been reasonably healthy have like three or four lineups that are, you know, eat up the bulk of their possessions. Um, whenever Horford is at the five, um, which is true of their four most used lineups, they just don't generate turnover. So it's not like, I don't know if it's just Horford. I think there are a lot of factors at play. Uh, Williams being out being the main one, because everybody else plays differently when he's in the role that the Celtics kind of discovered he should be in late last year or midway last year. Um, and to that point, um, uh, Last year, when the the two most Celtics, the two Celtics most used lineups with Williams involved, were 66th and 80th percentile in forcing opponent turnovers. So maybe that's your answer. Um, I think it owes to maybe like there's more drop coverage, there's more conservative schemes, there's less gambling because Williams isn't like parachuting in from the corner to block stuff on the weak side. Um, I think maybe you know. I'll answer my own question a little bit. Do these, does this matter? Like if you're last in the league in something, it piques interest, especially if it's on defense and you're talking about the Celtics because of what they did. Mm-hmm. I think probably the way I view this is they're this good without forcing any turnovers. And while playing a defensive scheme that doesn't, isn't going to look like what they employ in the games that really matter if everybody's healthy. So the frame I put around it is man, the Celtics, like they've got a couple levels to go up you know, from, from where they're at right now. And that was kind of making me reevaluate my thoughts on, and I think we shared this of how Milwaukee is just kind of, you know, beyond reproach. Once everyone's healthy, there are no questions, no notes about the bucks. I feel like the Celtics were not a team that I put on that level of starting the year, but based on what they've done so far and based on the room they have to improve, I mean, maybe that was a mistake, I guess. So I don't know where that leaves you to respond, but the turnover thing is, is wild to me just based on how dominant this defense was last year. Yeah. And I think maybe it just changes as you already mentioned, when Rob Williams, the third comes back and how they're able to guard that way and what, how it changes the dynamic for everyone else who's on the floor. Um, but it's just, 
I can't, I think I'm with you where we underestimated how much of a sure thing this team was, which is wild because they added Malcolm Brogdon, even at like we knew the Gallinari injury and the RW3, but they added Malcolm Brogdon to this group that just made the finals. And whether right. you thought it was like a little fluky or not. And the fact that they are uh, like, you know, you mentioned Milwaukee. These are Milwaukee must are the only two teams that rank in the top five of rim frequency allowed and three point frequency allowed. So like their, their opponents are all taking just a bunch of mid range jumpers. And I think when you look at the numbers, like it's going to bear out like, Oh, they might be getting uh, actually unlucky when you're looking at what opponents are um, shooting on some of those. Like, yeah, they've probably gotten, yeah, they're no, they're not really unlucky from three or the rims. Like nothing's been super unlucky here. I think they can at full strength be more aggressive than they had been. And I can't, I'm with you. They're in the territory or the tier of, I don't have notes or concerns. And I think, Maybe even when you look at the Western Conference, some of the injuries that are being dealt with there, some of the slow starts there too. Milwaukee and Boston, it's not just the East, it's just the entire league. Like those are the two surest things that the NBA has right now. Yeah. I feel like it's you know, the two the two points that that gave me pause about Boston, I'm pro I can't remember now, but I probably took their under, whatever it was, was well, they lost the coach that, you know, we've all decided should be credited with their defensive overhaul that turned them into just this juggernaut partway through the year last year. Emi Odoka is not there. So I, I, which seems misguided in hindsight, because it's not like, you know, the, the personnel knows what they're supposed to do defensively and to attribute something like that to the head coach and not an assistant. Lots, lots of teams have defensive coordinators. Um, you know, like that, that may have been a mistake, but I am surprised that Robert Williams absence like hasn't, really affected the bottom line it's it's changed the the way that the celtics have been good but it hasn't it hasn't uh you know affected their overall quality i don't think like they still have lineups that are like plus 20 something per hundred which you know isn't quite on the level of their their really very best lineup last year but uh yeah they got a level to go i think that's that's my main takeaway is they've got a level to move up and they're arguably the best team in the league right now Look, with the way that, yeah, I was about to say, with Drew Holiday on his jumper and then Giannis at the free throw line, not hitting his mid-rangers and not shooting well from three, mm -hmm. you could probably make the case that Boston is the surest thing that the NBA has right now. Yeah, you really could. That leaves me with the Brooklyn Nets, and I have zero desire to talk about Kyrie Irving or <laughs> Jalen Brown word salad at this point, for that matter. Um, I'm still curious. I know he's been Ben My question is, what is Ben Simmons now? on offense and he has been a lot better over the past three games. Um, we've seen him used more as a screener. Uh, he is like, he's, he scored a little bit more. He's coming off some really strong performances. That being said, he still hasn't finished 10 possessions as the role man. Um, and then while he's been better over his past three games, he's averaging five drives per 36 minutes in those three games. He's averaging 3.8 drives per 36 minutes on the season. He was at 11.3 drives per 36 minutes in 2020-2021, his last fully healthy season. And I think this has been a question that's been bandied about already enough, but it's still an issue. And when you go back and you watch Ben, ben Simmons this season, you could talk about how injuries affect, have affected him, um, how he's been like unaggressive, even relative to his standards. There's just something that's still off. And part of it could be if he's playing with another big, and I know they've cut down some of those minutes, uh, he's getting rid of the ball so much earlier. He's just not passing the free throw line. Go back and watch a lot of his assistant transition. They're like these shuffle passes that he might've thrown before he even crossed half court. And I just don't, I, what is the best version of Ben Simmons even on offense right now? And does it get, you know, Kyrie Irving's been back for one game, but like, what is, what does it look like when you are at, full strength. Are you always going to get the fact that he took 13 shots against Memphis was absolutely fantastic. And that's what you want from every single game. Is that replicable? And if it is like you're seeing concessions being made by other guys, I think the, I saw a bunch of what he did in uh, at Portland and then uh, against Memphis and that Kyrie's return. Like those, those were big deal performances. I'm just wondering if it is, are they sustainable? Are these just a very small snapshot of a season, but his past three games have been, I would say highly encouraging and even had some really good defensive moments there. Is this going to be something where his role sort of fluctuates and seesaws though, from, uh, you know, game to game or like, I don't even know, like week to week or just based on availability. And is he built to adapt in that manner on offense? I honestly don't know, but 
if this is the if Ben Simmons can, and I'll phrase it this way, if he can play within the flow of an offense and be effective slash aggressive rather than dictating the flow of an offense, the Nets, so long as they stay together and don't implode because of something that happens off the court or someone requesting a trade demand, they might be like friskier than you and I have credit because we're just both out on them. And I'm still, I'm, I don't trust the nets. You should not trust the nets. That's not, that's a terrible decision, but what is like, are you more optimistic for Ben Simmons on offense now? Or are you still just, I'm, I'm probably more, I might be more confused than ever after watching his past two games. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, the numbers have, have improved the 11 of 13 effort, you know, great. It's still, I think for me, like there are blueprints, right. Where of guys that, have similar limitations, uh, which is like that cannot and do not shoot from the perimeter. And that generally speaking, you know, are out there to possess the ball, to move it. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll, you know, sorry, but I'll bring it back to the war. like Kavon Looney's role on the warriors. And granted, this is a center that, you know, is the fifth option at all times. Uh, but he is integral to their offense because he understands how to screen, how to pass, how to, how to get guys open, how to be just like a connective piece. Um, you, I mean, Draymond Green, really, if you want to stay there is kind of s- similar. Like he doesn't get guarded on the perimeter. You know, he's, he has to be effective by setting other players up. The problem is like Ben Simmons is a max salary guy that, you know, is playing with, or when the nets are healthy is playing with offensive players that, should really open up scoring opportunities for him. And if he's not willing to take advantage of those, which the drive stat is really telling the lack of free throws we've seen, you know, that everyone's talking about that. Those two things are linked. I think if he's not willing to attack against defenses that are basically daring him to do something with the ball, then I'm not going to be convinced that he makes sense as a key piece of a good team um, it just because like, or, and, or if he just became like a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate again, like if he, if he really could play center and really could switch across five positions, I don't think that's realistic just because the nets, you know, they don't rebound, they get killed inside when they play centers, uh, Ben Simmons at center, I think exacerbates those issues. So yeah, this is why it's a good question. I don't know what he is. I'm not super optimistic even after some better play over the last week or so. Um, it should be noted we're we're recording this the night or the the morning before he goes back to Philly. So like, who knows what's going to happen there? Um, I I just I don't see a pathway for him to really help the team just because the aggression, you know, it, it just isn't there. That like the the willingness to attack to get fouled to try to score isn't there. And if he's not wired that way, fine. Um, but that that just that's just what it is. You 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 can't just be a ball mover without doing much else. And that sells him a little short, but like, but not too much. Are you, would you say you're more optimistic the same after the, you know, the past three games slightly more, but it hasn't like fundamentally changed sort of what I think his, his role is on this team or what it can be. You know, if, if it's a health thing, if it really is just the back has not allowed him to play to move like he wants to, then I, then sure. But I, it, it's not clear to me that that's the only factor in play here. Um, so we'll move on. Boy, we got through the nets pretty, pretty well there. I'm surprised. I think they've been beaten to death, which yeah. might've helped, but I still think that's the biggest, we could harp on Kyrie's availability, but like the biggest question is just like, what does Ben Simmons look like on offense? Because that is your single biggest swing piece. And he's the guy that's probably going to be there the longest. Cause Kyrie will be gone most likely. And Kevin Durant is, you know, is already asked to be traded and, and- I know it gets asked a bunch and I just tried to tackle questions that you and I haven't discussed at nauseum already, but wondering, are they like, does Kevin Durant request a trade at some point? Like what? That's a, that is a fair question. You could say it's low hanging fruit. It's a, it's a, it's a fair question. Yeah. That's the thing. It's you want to pick the, yeah. I mean, that is, that is, I mean, maybe that question defines the season more than any other for them, but like, what are we going to talk about? Would you, if like, would you bet on Kevin Durant finishing the season in Brooklyn? I, oh man, that's a great question. Cause I don't know. I, 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 would. I think I would. And it's only because I'm not sure where the package to get him comes from yet. You know, that could change. 
as we get past the middle of December and some more options open up. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think he would be if you had to bet? Is he there at the end of the year? I want to be like spicy and say that I don't think he will be. And I feel like just everything we've seen about this team points against the sensible happening where it's like, well, like reevaluate over the summer. Uh, You haven't even like figured out your head permanent head coaching situation, at least, even though Jacques Vaughn is there right now. I, I don't know. There's just like Phoenix not having made a move yet on Jay Crowder. And just like once Deandre Ayton becomes trade eligible, I just, I almost, and like Miami will get to them sort of just floundering around. Like, do they come in? But you're right. Like the package to build him. I do think he's upped his stock since the initial trade demand, because there's not as many questions maybe about his durability. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, this just feels weird to talk about too, when you have the nets coming off of uh, two straight victories, which is a big deal for them. And maybe, maybe they'll get a third straight, but if I want to say, I think Kevin Durant gets moved this year, but I you feel like I'm afraid want to, to say, say it. it. <laughs> I feel like I'm afraid to say it. So people who are listening, were basically know that I'm saying, I think Kevin Durant gets moved. Okay. Got Wade, it. My, my dog Wade agrees. Okay. It's been Wade's stamp of approval. Um, I got the Charlotte Hornets and this really is like, this is low hanging fruit, but it's the only, it's jumps out to me as the, the only question we really need to talk about is does ownership slash management have the guts to tank? Um, and I think what we've seen over the last few years suggests that the Hornets just aren't, that's just not how they prefer to operate. Um, and, and it would go against, you know, just sort of, I, I don't know who to ascribe it to. It's easy to say Michael Jordan just doesn't want to preside over a team that's not trying to win. Um, but, you know, Indiana operated that way for a long time. And though the Pacers are not bad now, they at least took steps to, you know, rebuild and get younger and just sort of see what happens. Um, but so to me, the, the Hornets, they have a lot of cover. If they did, they're four and 14. They have the worst offense in the league. That's tied directly to Miles Bridges not being there, Lomelo Ball missing 13 games, playing three, respraining the ankle, and is out again. Gordon Hayward's hurt, predictably. They're getting very little of interest from any of the centers they have on the roster, especially the young guys that have not played. You know, Kai Jones, like MIA. Mark Williams is down in the G League um, and doing well, but still not not ideal for a bad team to have a lottery pick just down in the G League in year one. If it's year three like James Wiseman, then it's totally fine. Um, but so they they have excuses like they can they can steer into this they're four and 14 as we're recording this it would be like as understood of a tank as there has been in the league for a long time just because oh we're hurt oh you know forces beyond our control miles bridges isn't there lamella you know just it's all there it's it's so easy it would be so easy to do it and i think you could make the case that this is a team that needs a second piece worse than almost any other in the league right just other than Lomelo, like i just don't know who is on this roster that you could feel good about building around you know like as a real piece um so it comes down to ownership and management like and i guess coaching because steve clifford probably did not think that this was the way the season was going to go when he d- agreed to come back um so i'm curious like do you view Charlotte the same way as like an obvious tanker that just really needs to embrace this or, and part two, do you think they will actually do it? I I think it's, there's not even a question there. I think Hornets fans would even say that it's time to tank and, or maybe play JT Thor a bunch with Nick Richards and maybe you wind up winning games on accident, but Lamelo's extension eligible this year. You need after this season, like you need to find him that second guy. And the best way to do that is going to be through the draft. I don't know what a teardown necessarily looks like for them because I don't know what value you get for a Gordon Hayward, even a Terry Rozier who's been, he shot the ball god awful on corner threes and for mid range this year. Um, you're certainly, you know, like you can maybe get something for Kelly Bray Jr. Is Cody Martin worth something once he's trade eligible? He's been injured. Uh, at this point, though, it almost makes you wonder do they, what is, like, do they need to tank or are they just naturally that bad? Like, do you just keep, maybe LaMelo comes back again since he's day to day right now and you start rattling off a bunch of victories and then maybe you make the tough call. I just don't know. I think you could leave them alone and they might still be one of the four worst teams in the league. Yeah. I think the main thing would be just Lamelo gets SGA treatment, you know, the, the last couple of years or just, you really slow play it. Um, which honestly, you know, if you read, if it's, he aggravated the same ankle, like that's the type of thing that 
really might just need a couple months, you know, a couple more, right. just, and, you know, just take, really take your time. The other way that that manifests itself as a tank manifests itself is you really do kind of look at the Russell Westbrook stuff and, and maybe you take one pick back to, to make it a Gordon Hayward trader. You know, you, you just look at stripping off anybody that has any significant money beyond this year and really go for it. The problem with that is I think based on how this team has operated, you're talking about now like a multi-year rebuild, which is, is harder for me to imagine that, you know, being sold than, Oh, we're going to, we're going to do like a one year thing and then we're going to retool and be right back at it. Um, I guess if you end up with Wembenyama though, the, you know, the patience gets extended quite a bit. So yeah. is that the, is that the move then for them where it's sort of that juggles Michael Jordan's natural impulses versus what they should actually do where it's okay. You, Kelly Bridger is going to be a free agent. So he's going to get traded. Uh, and maybe you're just playing a bunch of your young bigs, a bunch to kind of see what you have and, in all of them. And then you're shutting everybody else down and you're hoping you get Wembenyama, Scoot Henderson, maybe. And then you're trying to win again immediately next year. Not the route I would go. I think it needs right. to be a multi-year process because if I were them, I would absolutely, if the Lakers, if they were willing to give me picks, but I absolutely trade Hayward at least for Westbrook plus Ubre. If you want to go that way, maybe you value Terry Rozier, but I would get Terry Rozier's money off the books. Just be super mm -hmm. mean. He's a good player. I think his shooting will normalize some, but I just don't know what purpose he's going to serve on this team. And they're just so devoid of bright spots. I mean, I shouldn't say that. Nick Richards has been frisky. JT Thor is a shot of adrenaline. Uh, Den the Dennis Smith Jr. story has been fantastic. Just his defensive efforts. I'm just finishing around the, the basket, the passing, that, the passing that has come along for him. But like if Dennis Smith Jr. were 20% of the way through the season and he's like your rosiest storyline at this point, there's, there's probably an issue. And I think, look, I still like PJ Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, he seemed like he was in an outsized role and had for most of this season, basically looking at the personnel they've had. And I thought they've done some interesting things with him. The elbow touches that they've juiced up um, have worked out well for, for stretches, but he also has just had wildly uneven offensive before I wrote about it. Where it's like it vacillates between like, Oh, this is incredible. And what the fuck did I just watch? He's going into restricted free agency. And it's like, you kind of have to ask yourself, should we be moving him? We never see guys who are worth like anything get moved on their rookies. Get like a Grant Williams didn't come to an extension with Boston. He's going to finish the year in Boston and you'll play it out in restricted free agency. Yeah. So my guess is they would keep him, but you know, you're going to lock yourself into another player from this core who you're not really, I guess, sure fits. Perhaps he doesn't cost the cost basis won't be that much, but I would look at moving him. I would look at moving everybody, but I'm just wondering if, because he's going to be a free agent uh, because Kelly Oubre Jr. is going to be a free agent. Is that just sort of the, that's the low hanging fruit for this team as well. We surf their market. We're going to suck anyway, but they should go the nuclear route. I would, your question was, do I think Michael Jordan will let it happen? I don't. I think the Hornets might be bad enough to have incredible lottery odds without doing anything. I don't think they're going to steer any further into those lottery odds or a future that puts them on a multi-year trajectory where it's not like, Oh, we can't contend for the 10 seed before next year. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. We can't do that. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's kind of an indictment when, you know, a franchise really just consistently aims for the middle instead of the top and is so bad at that, that it ends up tanking anyway. <laughs> that's, that's hard to do. It's bizarre too, because it's, do they, does Michael Jordan internally think that this roster is supposed to be a lot better? Do you know he what I mean? Think. Like, he, is he actively going into this like, oh, I'm trying to get that gate revenue on one playing game, or, or is it like he actually thinks like, oh, like we we should be like a top six team in the East or something? That's what I'm very curious about. We that's a question we really can't answer. Uh, that brings me to the Chicago Bulls, and my question for them, I have many questions for them. I'll I'll use the central focus here. Should we be concerned? about Zach Levine. And I'm not just talking because he was benched at the end of the game against Orlando. Uh, they did. The Bulls just shellacked the Celtics uh, without Levine playing particularly well. He did play. He was 8 of 20 from the floor. But in his... So he returns to the rotation after a game out. And in those seven games, he's shooting 48.5% on twos, actually higher than his season because he's been shooting basically a career low on twos. 32.8% from threes. His free throw clip is at um, a career low. His 53% at the rim is basically a career low. Um, his finishing there. Is it time to worry about him? And is there anything that the Bulls can do? Is it just a matter of, oh, Zach Levine needs to be better 
for their offense to be better. They've held firm at 20th and points allowed per possession over this small stretch, but now we've seen the defense regress even more. I've contemplated, should they have a starting lineup change where they're pulling Patrick Williams for Javante Green just to give you that extra athletic juice? Um, I've wondered, like, oh, is this just sort of, they have a deficit of shooting, and even if um, Zach Levine starts hitting more of his threes, and look, he wasn't even, I think he's still at like 36% or something from the season. It's not like, you know, disastrously low. Um, is this just a function of the roster? They don't have enough shooters and Lonzo ball is probably not going to play this year. So you sort of have to take your medicine there and asking all these questions. Is there anything that they can do outwardly because they're approaching? I'm not saying they should blow it up. I'm not trying to turn that into this discussion, but like you're entering this weird spot now because you might end up in the bird right trap with Vucevic. Who's not been, he hasn't been bad this year, but he's headed towards free agency. You already paid Zach Levine. You have DeRozan, Lonzo Ball, Caruso. Like, can you count on the health of this roster? What is Patrick Williams? Um, he has looked, he's been up and down this year too. Like some of his numbers are very favorable, but he's just looking, it looks like he gets it on offense and then he doesn't. And then I will say, particularly over the past couple weeks, it kind of feels like some of the, the main players on this roster might not really give a shit about defense anymore. So that's the vibes I'm getting. And so those are my overarching questions on the Bulls. I do think, I, that's why I didn't want to ask this question. And you can disagree. I think we should be worried about the Bulls. The Zach Levine question, is this like, you know, knowing that the, the knee stuff in the rear view now or that he's still dealing with, is that something to be concerned about now and, and moving forward? I mean, so big, big picture. Yeah, I'm concerned about the Bulls. I think, you know, if we've talked at all about the Bulls at any point in the past, I've probably said just how bad I thought the Vucevic trade was on its face and because of sort of what it signaled this team thought it was going to be able to do, which was be a lot better than I thought that it could with Vucevic. And then, you know, even that ceiling never seemed all that high to me. So, you know, they're seven and 10 right now. The, the offense sucks. The defense has overperformed, I think, to my mind, considering Lonzo Ball hasn't played mm-hmm. and considering, you know, Levine looks slower. DeRozan has never guarded anybody. Um, and, you know, Caruso hasn't been as good as he was last year, which is probably foreseeable just because he was so impactful especially on defense early last season um so like yeah there's myriad issues and points of concern um Levine for me like you said it's the knee the knee um just does wouldn't it make sense if that were the explanation right If, if if all it was was this is a guy that's had an ACL in the past that's been bothered by knee trouble you know for portions of what the last three really years and then it kind of you know had another procedure uh is a guy that while a great shooter was really defined early by just ridiculous athleticism just like one of the swoopiest you know most explosive open floor leapers that we had and he's just not that anymore and so adjusting to that is difficult just not getting the kind of production you can get from being more athletic than everyone on the floor makes that harder um, so I, I would be worried for sure, especially considering what they're paying him for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, he can't, he needs to be someone that is on, you know, a night or two nights a week close to the best player on the floor. Um, and it, he hasn't been that, you know, at all, hardly ever this season and was, you know, as it was to play off the controversy and the drama lately, like, wasn't on the floor at the end of a game recently. And it kind of made sense based on how he'd played to that point. I just think Did overall, you see the quote was, that he had on that, by the way, it was, thought, it was fine. Right. It was, so, it was just like, I thought that was just really self-aware and yeah. for someone who's still only 27 and wants to be on the floor. I thought that was like Bravo to him and like Billy yeah. Donovan for hashing. I thought, I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was so undramatic what yeah. came from that. Like the moment felt like, Oh, but it was just like I I thought that was like good for good for Zach Levine. I thought I thought that was really fucking cool. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Um, it doesn't change the fact that like this may be something we have to deal with again, you know. Right. And and then we'll see we'll see how it goes the next time. Um, the fact yeah, the being I don't know. I guess maybe I'm always like nervous for players that a large part of their effectiveness was based on athleticism or is this is why I'm like always scared for job ja Morant and why I was skeptical about Zion early on. It's just, if, if that's really what's getting you by to a large degree, you know, it's going to go at some point. And if you have injuries that kind of fast track 
the decline of that elite athleticism, then some guys just don't adjust well. And, you know, I'm not saying Levine will never be as good as he was just say last year, but like it's, it is, he is playing differently. So if that sustains, then like for sure you're worried about him. And then also the bulls, because then you're talking about a team that, you know, maybe doesn't have a lot of positive value assets if they do decide to pivot because the guys that they have are either old or expensive or both. So, you know, it's an issue. I, I guess I didn't expect a ton from the bulls. So I'm not like, shocked uh but if if you did expect something decent from chicago this is a pretty concerning spot to be in yeah and they just don't like they owe their first round pick this year and in 2025 so there's not much you can do on the trade market i I guess shooting could come a little bit cheaper though like they don't need to go out and i mean you could argue they need to go out and get a star but you you could go out and maybe get shooting for a lot cheaper just because that's something that they they clearly need for this team yeah um, we've got the Cleveland Cavaliers next, uh, this again, another, I, I keep, I don't know. Well, I shouldn't complain cause I'm getting a lot of the good teams and you're getting the controversial or difficult ones to do. Um, my main question, which you can tie to lots of other things is what are they going to do with small forward? Um, that, that was an issue coming into the year because Isaac Okoro just didn't pop. Um, Karis Levert has had the bulk of the starts there. I mean, if we want to just get down to it, like Dean Wade is the answer based on all of the lineup data and on off numbers and sort of the role that he can play. Um, because Lavert is an on ball guy that just makes sense to me, even though he shot it better this year th- than you'd expect. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't want to, you don't hold me to that, but I'm pretty sure at least earlier this season, he was looking pretty good from three relative to his standards. Um, but Wade is the better catch and shoot guy. He's got more size, more length, kind of fits like a yeah Levert's at 37.3 percent from deep which is pretty comfortably a career you can still start to see like the struggle of like him starting and how it wasn't necessarily like the cleanest fit and so I think what he do two games off the bench or something looked a lot a lot better for him immediately it it makes more sense if you're built around Garland and and Mitchell obviously but then also if you want Evan Mobley to start kind of being a little bit more involved offensively in terms of his facilitation he has been he's been a monster over the past like two weeks or whatever so then what's Levert really out there for with that group now you're going to mix and match throughout the game but I'd rather have that guy coming in with mostly bench units and just yeah get us some high volume like slightly below average efficiency offense for four or five minutes and then we'll bring the big guns back out like that's that's the type of role that makes sense for him so I think Wade is the answer at the three you know, they, I guess they could go out and try to make a move. Um, I kind of would like to just see how this looks with everybody healthy and in the right roles, which I think you saw more of minus the Garland missing time during their really hot start. Um, but I just, it's just one of the most glaring issues positionally on a really good team that we have in the league. Um, and again, maybe that does a disservice to Wade who's hurt, but he, he seems to make sense plus 24.5 with him at the three alongside the starters minus 4.3 with Levert in that same role. This is through Monday night's game. So it could have changed. Um, but if you have Levert on with Garland and Mitchell off, this is to my, let's move him to the six man role. The Cavs are plus 8.2. So that's a tiny sample who, you know, you could have an opponent hit like four threes instead of making, you know, missing four threes in that small of a sample and it flips the whole thing, but it fits the theory of how this team I think should sort of be built. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think unless you're going to swing a deal, unless you're going to like, I don't feel like Crowder is the right guy for that. And I want to say that there's some, you know, obstacles to him coming back to Cleveland. Um, I just don't know. I don't know what you do at the three, unless you really think Dean Wade is the guy that you're going to have out there at the end of games you know, theoretically in like the second round of the playoffs even. Yeah. I think that's a fair question as good as Dean Wade is. And I'm a, I really like Dean Wade. Uh, I don't know. Like, what do you look at with their trade assets? I don't think Isaac Okoro has done anything to boost his value externally. And I think you're at the point where until you see Rubio, what he looks like when he comes back, I don't know that you can even justify moving Lavert at this point. Um, are we overreacting to like, they had like that really dry spell, uh, you know, where they lost, what was it? Five in a row. And like, it was all like, they lost the warriors who we know sucks. Like losing to the warriors is a big deal. Terrible. Uh, But they rattle off three. I mean, like beating 
Charlotte in double overtime. It's not really anything to brag about, but you pummel Miami. Um, you handily take care of, they beat Atlanta on, on Monday. So I'm just like, I can't bring myself to have urgency for them because I still feel like the Donovan Mitchell trade was made uh, with the bigger picture in mind. And so that if this is something you address over the off season, when, by the way, you could still have cap space. Um, that's Which when I would wild. Expect, <laughs> right. That's wild. And I think what helps is that because there's no urgency, like you can sit on the trade market and see what develops. And maybe you're able to pick up someone to fill what we would call playoff three minutes um, because you don't think, I mean, like, because their second best option at the three functionally, I think you could, if it's talent, it's Karis LeVert. Like, is it Lamar Stevens? Because, like who's been starting. So I'm, I, it's a, when you're talking about the highest level and I think, you know, Cavs fans might want to nitpick on like maybe some of the other struggles that we've seen. Um, but like the fact that, you know, Donovan Mitchell, yeah, he's cooled off, but Darius Garland has looked really good. Like that's the benefit of having this roster is there's just going to mm-hmm. be guys. Karis LeVert looked really bad. Um, late, uh, before he started missing time. So, but then he comes off the bench. Like I said, I think it was for two games. He just looked at least a little bit more at home, but that's the benefit of having so much talent and depth here. And I think, look, the bigger development for me is just like Evan Mobley, like low key just looks like a monster on offense over the past couple of weeks. Like he's yeah. shooting, um, he's hit fadeaways. He's hit some, some hook shots. Um, they're not the highest of efficiency, but like the situations that they've put him in, uh, they're really trying to plumb the depths of his offensive skill set, And to do that and still not be bad is really important. And is the answer just, well, Evan Mobley, is our right. wing defender because we have Jared Allen and we'll move around everybody else as we have to. So I, I guess I don't feel as strongly as you that they need somebody this year, but that is, you look at this roster and that's just the, like, that's the no brainer. Like what could they do here? Because if they upgrade that spot, like they vault up the, like they're already in like probably the second tier of title contender still, just mm-hmm. because I know again, they had that dry spell, but so many teams are going through that. Like the first tier is Boston and Milwaukee. And then there's like, a bunch of teams vying for that, that second, like one that, that, you know, the second tier of title contendership. Yeah. No, to your point, the answer to every Cavs question is, well, like Evan Mobley could fix that, <laughs> you know, it, 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 whatever it is, like you need a point guard. Sure. Give him a year. He'll figure it out. Like I, yeah, he's, he was always the answer, right? He, even when the Mitchell trade happened, it was always, well, this is fine. As long as Mitchell's the second best player on the team and Evan Mobley is the super duper star, which I still think is probably how, where this, where this ends. He is shooting by the way, um, about 44% on two point jumpers over his past eight games. It's happening. It's going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's happening. That leaves me with the Detroit Pistons who uh, they, like they forced this question onto us. The Cade Cunningham left shin injury. He is, I was hoping we would find out either during this podcast or before it, preferably whether he was going the surgery route or rest route. Um, A lot of people seem to expect he's going to go the surgery route that he will miss the rest of the season. I don't know if that's going to be the case. And it's, are there any silver linings here? And I think you could take the, I think the easy question is, are they all in on Wembenyama now? And it's like, if Cade's not playing, yeah. Like you could let Dwayne Casey try and win games. He not win no games. I would argue if Kate Cunningham was out for the season, they will wind up trading play by Donovich, which then gets super interesting for the trade market. I'm just more curious, like, what does this team... There's the easy experimentation is, okay, like, we're going to see even more of what we have in Killian Hayes and Jay Nivey. But I think, like, I just want to reinforce that while people have issues with the, I guess, the acceleration of Kay's development he is still hyper important to this offense. When he's on the court, they have a 112.2 offensive rating. That's close to league average. Without Cade, it's 106.4. That's the 12th percentile. Without Cade and with Ivy, it's 107.8. So a little bit better to the 18th percentile. I'm very interested to see what Jaden Ivy kind of looks like um, having control of an entire offense. I do feel like sometimes he's been better than I expected him and Jalen Duran both. Um, I do wonder if like, he is sometimes goaded into just taking, like he bails out too easily. The defense like goaded into taking these shots that he shouldn't from the perimeter. Um, I do think though, when you look at the way that he's able to attack, if you're going to put him in lineups where there are at least three shooters on the court, that maybe you discover something about yourself and the way you can play without Cade. I do not see a silver lining though, overall, because this team is still bad defensively. I don't know. Cade's absence. Does that help? Does that hurt? Um, they've tried a lot of different things on defense and James L Edwards, the third wrote a great piece on it a couple weeks back for the athletic. I actually think I might've already plugged it on this podcast. So I, I can't 
bring myself to think that there are many silver linings other than look, Killian Hayes looked kind of like, I don't know, like kind of peppy past couple weeks, shooting over 40% from three over his past, whatever games it was, I think seven. Um, So yeah, you get to see more of that, but without Cade here, it it just sucks because this doesn't seem like an injury where it's, oh, do we have to worry about what he's going to look like next season? Um, But to not have him and to not gain as much information as you can on what your most important core players look like moving forward in Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, and Cade just together, getting more of that sample size, mixing and matching with them to see that burn out maybe before, you know, the, we get to the, the quarter pole of the season really blows the upside though, of course, is for a team that does not have a ton of other teams as future first round picks. This will be a boon for their lottery odds. And if you wind up with things get interesting, if they end up in the Scoot Henderson spot and you have Cade <laughs> and Jaden Ivey, you're in the Scoot Henderson spot, but if you want them to be in on Wembenyama, like they, if, and I will say this, this is not me trying to be national podcast. Let's not dig deep. If Cade's out, that's exactly what you need to be doing. I just don't think that you need to start. Uh, you could keep Boyer Bogdanovich and probably still be bad enough to be like a bottom four team. Um, but I would expect him to just get moved if, if Kate is out for the rest of the year. That would be be my guess. So is there anything that the actual question is, well, where do you land on? What do you do if Kate is out? But also is there, what are you watching for without Kate? Yeah, there's not a lot to do. I think you're right that this will just sort of take its natural course, which is, you know, all of, and, and that, dovetails with what i would do is yeah you you move a you move any veteran you can for future assets like and really the silver lining again you hit it is is you get to see if ivy is like the idea optimally ivy and cunningham get a bunch of reps together and develop sort of a who does what when kind of understanding or at least the beginnings of that because that takes a really long time that's the best case scenario for this year or was the best case scenario for this year if cunningham does in fact miss the season or at least a bunch more time or is, is limited, which is kind of the only, the only options on the table. But I think the second best option is seeing what Ivy looks like as just, okay, here you go. You know, you, you got the ball. We'll, we'll do what we can to either, you know, keep you out there with a really good screen setter or a bunch of spacing and let's see what it looks like. Cause you know, one of the early angles of the season was it, he does have the ability, I think, to be a primary ball handler in a good offense if only because of the athleticism, the willingness to pass, just kind of the, he's got the, at least the starters toolkit for being like a a number one option as a ball handling point guard, playmaker, leading scorer. He's got like, he's got the tools, I think, to do that. The, The issue so far is like, we just don't really have enough reps to see what he could look like. And we're going to get those. So just for example, I was trying to look for lineups where, What's Ivy look like if you put as much shooting as a team like the Pistons can around him? And, you know, really, so there's there's a lineup that's played two possessions with Ivy as the only point guard on the floor. So no, even no Burks, for example. I, I don't want Burks out there because he can run the offense. No Killian Hayes, no Cade Cunningham. Ivy has played two possessions with Livers, Bay, Bogdanovich, and Stewart, which I think is probably about as stretchy as you can get. He's played eight with uh, livers Bay Bogdanovich and Bagley Bagley can't shoot, but he kind of floats around the perimeter. Mm-hmm. Um, more of that stuff, I guess. Let's see what that looks like. Or if you want to really build his pick and roll chemistry with, with Duran, then that that's cool too. Um, the offense will suck because there's just not enough talent and the defense will stay bad. Um, that, yeah, that's what I would do. I just like, this is your season now, Jaden Ivy. Let's, let's take, let's get these lumps out of the way and see if you're, if you can be the guy. And then we'll figure out where you fit with Cade next year. You know, that that's that's the only positive to it. And the and the draft pick. That's, that's the only way to go. Like we've talked about, should Charlotte tank? The Pistons are gonna do it anyway, but they should really do it now. Cause if Cade's not there, then what's what's the season for? Right. And I'm like, I guess you could test out more with even Sadiq Bay a little bit. And there's a lot of information I think still to be gleaned with with Killian Hayes. It just it kind it just really just kind of, I, don't know. I don't know about Hayes. Well, I'm just, I'm, my whole point is just like now, well, what is the alternative? Like you have Jaden Ivey and you need to, like, you just want to play Corey Joseph and Alec Burks a ton. Like, what is that <laughs> oh, doing? Man. Well, if you want to tank, uh, yeah. So, uh, man, that's, we had a couple of bummers in, in a row there. That, um, yeah, that injury, it, it sucks. Cause I, I think Cade Cunningham is going to be, I'm, I think I'm higher on Cade than the consensus now somehow. I, th- I thought it was just known that he was going to be a megastar. Now people start to question like whether that's going to happen. I'm still all the way there with him. And so I enjoy, watching him play and again 
I like there are things that are going to be worth monitoring for the Pistons, but it just gets appreciably harder to understand what this team could become without having Cade on the court. And again, there's the benefit of your, your draft pick odds, but it's just such a, a bummer. We're saying all this, like maybe he just rests and he's like not yeah. out for the rest of the season. Right. But if he's missing even substantial time, maybe that's the best of both worlds. He misses a little bit. And like, you're so far out of the race that you're trained by Bogdanovich or anyway, and you're not winning games, but uh, I, I hope that he makes a full recovery. Yeah. I know. Of course, of course. But this it, potentially, this is just time loss. This is the valuable developmental time that you're going to lose. You got to make the best of. Um, I have the Pacers next. And this is, I'm going to admit that this is like probably not the uh, most pressing question for the Pacers, but I really like Tyrese Halliburton a lot and I want to talk about him. So <laughs> here we are. That's not a question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a question. Is Tyrese Halliburton the best young guard in the league, non Doncic division? And so, I have to put some parameters on that because like John ja Morant exists and, and other stuff. Um, I'm going 22 or younger in terms of their age 22 season. And here's a stat and it might be a little stale because this is from uh, a, like 36 hours ago and it could change point stands. Halliburton has a seven point, a plus 7.3 box plus minus. That is the fourth highest for a player 22 or younger all time. And the only other guys that have done that for a full season are Chris Paul. This is age 22 or younger. Luka Doncic twice because he's ridiculous uh, and Michael Jordan and that's it. Uh, so like, yeah, that's one stat. I'm not, I'm obviously not comparing Halliburton to those guys. Um, there's competition now around the league. You could say Anthony Edwards is still a better prospect. The numbers do not support that at all. Cade, maybe Tyrese Maxey, maybe, but even then you're kind of stretching a little bit. I mean, he's on a list with, you know, other than Luca, it doesn't skew modern that box plus minus thing. It's not like eight of the top 10, you know, under 22 guard box plus minuses are from the last like three years. You know, like if you'd look at high volume three point shooting or offensive efficiency stuff, some of those stats are all just, well, because there's offense has gone bonkers. That's, that's not the case here. Like you got to go, you get back, you know, 20, 30 years pretty comfortably. Um, so it's early. He's an outlier. There's another stat that like he's going to be, if he finishes the season averaging 20 and 10 with a 40% three point clip on his volume, he'll be the first guy to do it in like ever, or, you know, in some modern, modern era, ridiculous stuff. Um, I think Halliburton is the best player that was involved in the trade on either team between the Pacers and, and Kings that includes De'Aaron Fox. I think Halliburton's better than him today, even though Fox is playing the best he's ever played. Um, I just, I, I just think he's going to be really great. I think the Pacers low key have one of the best building blocks in the league um, and he's not discussed enough. So is there anybody you like under 22 that I listed or that I forgot that you'd rather have not to put you on the spot, but I mean, I gave you Anthony Edwards if you want to just take him. Uh, but I, I just, I couldn't be higher on him and I don't think he's talked about enough. So I formulated a question to make that point. That is an interesting question. Is LaMelo ball still under 22? I don't think so. He didn't show up in the, well, he didn't have a high enough box plus minus to fit into that, uh, that group, but I'm going to look that up right now. I don't know if I would take him. Well, I was just curious. Yeah. He's 21. So I don't know He'd if I would take conversation. Him. I'd rather have Halliburton. I think. Yeah. I, I guess he, I guess he might be. Wow. I mean, him versus Anthony Edwards is tough when you go off this season alone. The thing is that Halliburton scales to so many more situations. Clearly. I'm glad you went there because that's the real point about him. So, I mean, uh, not to interrupt, but like he came into the league as like, I'm not sure what he's got on the ball. Like he's going to make spot up shots. He's not strong enough or quick enough to get to the basket, you know? Well, sorry, but like he's one, he's got one of the best in between games in the league. His shot form is still weird, but he gets it off from everywhere. He's got a bunch of floaters. He's one of the smartest passers in the league. Full stop. Mm -hmm. Um, he can be your first he's, he is your lead option right now on a team that's winning more than it loses. Um, but it would be so easy to fit almost any other kind of talent around him just because like he could be like pick a team. You know, there's, there's just no one that you could put next to him that he wouldn't be able to fit with because of the shooting, because of his willingness to be like a Lonzo ball connective passer, if he needs to be because of his, you know, defensive ball Hawk. It's just like, the scalability. So right now he's a lead option and he's 22 and he's super productive. And like it, he doesn't have to be that 
over the next 10 years to be like a great piece on a title contending team. So the, the, the pathway, Anthony Edwards has one way to be great, I think, which is to be the best, like, you know, you're 28 a game top option scorer who can't really pass and defends like once in a while and is a dubious shooter. But Halliburton just like pick a, pick a trajectory, you know, towards like all-star status. And he could, he could, he could get there in so many different ways. Wow. I might be ready to go. You might've sold me because his only competition, it seems like would be LaMelo, Anthony Edwards. If you want to throw Tyrese Maxey in there, yeah. I'll say yes. Yeah. Right. Okay, good. We've been, Hey, we answered a question commenters. We did it. We got a, we got a concrete answer out of that. Uh, if you don't have anything else, I'll take us out. Um, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, that's going to do it. Uh, you can, as Dan mentioned in the beginning, remember, uh, look, trying to grow this audience, trying to grow our reach. We're trying to get into your homes and into your ears and your brains. So download, subscribe, comment, like rate, review us, give us five stars on iTunes and, and, and any place else you can evaluate us positively would be fantastic, but that's a big one. Um, follow us on our socials, which we have uh, in the YouTube and podcast descriptions. Join the Discord, which I have made a note to do myself. I pledge that I will be in there once I learn what a computer is. Dan can maybe help me with that. Um, tell your friends and enemies about us. Thank you again for listening. And in closing, uh, as always, I would like to sincerely apologize to Jared Allen. And on behalf of Dan, I'm going to do it this week. I would like to shout out the one and only who did not get mentioned again. Well, we did the East, so but still, you usually like to fit him in somehow. Frank Nilakina. The Wizards should trade for Frank Nilakina to juice up their offense. <laughs>